Okay. Thank you for leading us in worship. It is such a joy to gather together as God's people to worship our Lord, isn't it? Amen. Amen. And it is exciting to get to do that together, right? Our worship of God is not just something we do on our own. It's something we do together as we worship God together as his people, but also as we build one another up, as Paul says, with the word, with hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. And so it's an encouragement to be back with you on Sunday morning as we open up God's word. And want to say a particular thank you to Brian, one of my fellow elders, for preaching last week. To the many of you who have volunteered to make it possible to move to two services starting this week. So thank you. Grateful for you. This morning we are beginning a series this summer in the Psalms. We gather together as God's people to worship God and the Psalms are one of the key ways that we can do so. The Psalms are a beautiful collection of songs inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by God's people to glorify God. In them we see who God is more clearly, who we are as His people, and how He calls us to live. Now like any collection of songs, some of these songs are in major keys. You have songs of thanksgiving like Psalm 100, Psalms exalting in God's care like Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. Psalms of rejoicing and celebration. There are also psalms in minor keys. Psalms crying out to God for justice. Calling out, how long, O Lord? How long will evil go rampant? How long will I suffer? How can I relate to you in the midst of these things? And so the psalms speak to us in a variety of languages, in a variety of tones, and in a variety of ways. Now, over the next few months and this summer, we're not going to preach through all 150. I'll spare you that. But my hope is that as we look through a few psalms, famous psalms, psalms that are particularly representative of how the psalms work, that we will have a sense of how beautiful and rich and glorious the psalms are. It'll be like a sampler CD where once you listen to it, you're like, I want to get all the rest of the back catalog. And that we'll dive in both in our worship together as God's people, but through these psalms that we'll have a greater appreciation in our family worship, in our individual lives, and most of all, that we'll grow to know and love God better. This morning we are going to begin with a psalm, Psalm 1, that is intended as an introduction to the book of Psalms. So we are going to start there, and in this psalm we are shown an invitation and a warning an invitation to walk in the way of the righteous, to delight in God and in His ways, and so enter into the worship of the Psalms. But also a warning against walking in the way of the wicked, a path that leads not to blessing, that leads not to praise, but instead leads to judgment. So this Psalm is intended both as an invitation, but also as a warning, and as so it serves as an introduction to the Psalms. So would you please stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word, Psalm chapter 1. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The psalmist writes this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. 
In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As I said at the beginning, Psalm 1 is the opening psalm in the Psalter, and it serves as an invitation to walk, to live our lives in a particular way, to walk in the way of the righteous, to love the Lord and follow His ways. And in so doing, it invites us in to the life of God's people, into celebration and worship of God, and into the rest of the Psalms. Psalms written by God's people to worship God as they follow Him in God's ways. But this opening psalm is also a warning. Think of it as a warning sticker on the front of the psalms album. Not an explicit content warning sticker, but a warning that these psalms are for God's people and that they are not for us as we come to the psalms if we are not following God, if we are instead following a different path, the path of the wicked. And so they are an invitation, but also a warning, a heart check, as we enter in to the psalms. The psalmist begins by laying out two ways in verses 1 through 2. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And he invites us to walk in the way of the righteous and to reject the way of the wicked. The psalm begins on literally a happy note. We read, blessed is the man verse 1, or woman, who does not do certain things, but does others. This opening word, blessed, could also be translated more literally as happy is the man, or happy is the woman. Elsewhere in the Psalms, there is a more general term for blessing that focuses on God as the one who blesses people. But here, there's a more specific term for blessing that's used, that is focused on the results for the person being blessed. The blessing still comes from God, but here the focus is on the happiness, the delight, the joy that comes from those, to those who are blessed by God. We live in a world that pursues happiness in many ways, pursues happiness through striving after fame or after pleasure for being the one with the top job or the corner office or the large farm having the beautiful family and the white picket fence. Our world gives us various stories and pictures of what will lead us to true happiness, to true blessedness. And some of these things are good, but many of the stories we are told by our world are not true. They present other things as the source of happiness and tell us even more so false ways that we achieve that happiness. So we'll hear stories like happiness comes from having the well-diversified portfolio, being financially secure, having the big house and the good job. And how do you get there? Well, you live in a dog-eat-dog world. And so you look out for number one and you do what you need to do. And if that means cutting some corners or acting in ways that are unjust, that's what you need to do to get where you need to go to achieve the happiness you seek. Or some would say happiness is achieved through having great power, through being able to make your mark on the world around you to sway people to do things how you want them done, even maybe good things. But the way you get there, the story is that you go along to get along. 
You make some compromises here so you can achieve what you really want to achieve. To climb the ladder. To make a name for yourself. To gain power or prestige. I personally have felt that tension in the past. As some of you know, I worked before going to seminary and before going into pastoral ministry in public service, doing public policy in Washington, D.C., and then back in the state where I grew up. And the incentives there, a lot of people, like myself, would go, and they would go seeking to do good. But then there's, well, if you make this compromise, you can achieve this policy goal. Or if you align yourself with these people, yeah, they do some kind of kind of low-down things, but you need to align with them, and then you can get done what you need to get done. And slowly there's this story painted that to get where you need to go to achieve true happiness, you need to fudge a little or make some compromises or go against what God calls us to go in. And so we live in a world where happiness is laid out before us and we're told these stories about how we achieve it. And these stories are different, but many of these stories do not line up with God's Word. And there's a very real danger that as we pursue happiness, as we pursue what we want in the world, that we will be swayed and won over to ways that are not God's ways, to the way of the wicked. And the psalmist in Psalm 1 shows us that that is not the way to true happiness, to true blessedness in God's world. Happy is the man, he writes verse 1, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Here, the psalmist paints us with an alternative path that we may be tempted to go down, or that if we're honest, we may already be on. And he says, this is a path you want to avoid. This is not the true path to happiness. This is not the true path to blessing. And there is danger down this path. And the truly happy and blessed man does not walk this path. The picture we're given is one of intensification. There's three images given, and each one escalates. The first one, we're told, is that the blessed man walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Here the picture is of someone who they're trying to figure out, do I go this way? Do I go that way? What's the right thing to do? How do I live life in the world? And they're hearing these different voices. They're hearing some voices say, go this way. They're hearing some voices say, go that way. Do this or do that. And they're trying to decide which way to go, and they're being won over by the counsel of the wicked, by the advice of those who are not worshiping God, who are not aligned with God and His ways. And they're saying, you know, you need to do it this way if you're going to go where you want to go. Nice guys finish last. Look out for number one. You can compromise a little to get what you want. And he says, blessed is the man who doesn't listen to that, who doesn't go along with that. There are many voices in our world that seek to sway us to live in certain ways and to pursue certain things. And usually it's not this, we're wicked and we want you to be wicked too. Sometimes it's that obvious, but usually it's not. Usually it's, this will bring you something good. You can get what you want. You can go where you want to go. You can achieve what you want to achieve. And so the first picture is that the blessed man when he's considering which way to go, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't take their advice. He doesn't go the way that they're trying to persuade him to go. And I'll admit, in my own life, I mentioned serving in public service, I'm not sure that I always followed this psalm. Like there were times where 
I think eventually I broke away from that path, but I think there were times where I didn't rightly follow, when I followed the counsel of the wicked. That is a dangerous place to be. So blessed is the man who, as he's trying to decide which way to go, doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, but now it escalates. Who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. Throughout the Psalms and the Proverbs and the wisdom books, Different ways of life are presented in terms of a highway, a road, a path you're on. That's the way here. And there's an escalation between walking and standing. And it'll continue in the next line with sitting. At first, you're just kind of walking. Which way do I go? Maybe I'll kind of go this way and follow this path. But now, there is a standing, a setting one's place and one's position in the way of sinners. There's a commitment to that position. There's an intensification. But it gets even stronger in the next line where we're told, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. See the progression walking, then standing, then sitting down. When you're sat down in a position, it's harder to move than if you're walking or even if you're standing. And so there's this progression in the text of this person walking down the wicked path who becomes increasingly set in that way. Increasingly set in that way of life. And there's also an intensification in the degree of sin in view here. All sins bring God's judgment, but not all sins are the same in severity. In the Old Testament, there's frequent discussion of what are called sins of the high hand. Just this idea that you're deliberately sinning against God and basically giving him the finger. Because you're saying, I know you don't want me to do this, but I'm going to do it. It's a similar idea here with scoffers. comes from a word to make mouths at, is the literal origin. This idea that you're, you're scoffing. You're saying, I don't believe that that's right. I don't believe that's true. I don't buy that. I'm not going to live that way. But it's not just, I'm going to sort of in secret go the way of the sinner. Or I'm going to maybe cut some corners in the dark. This is public rejection of the way of God, public rejection of what is right, and public mocking of what is right. And so he's saying, blessed is the man who doesn't go that way, who neither walks in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. There's this escalation in the degree of sin here, and there is an escalation of the entrenchment of sin, and there's an escalation in the public nature of the sin. This sitting in the seat is public language. In the ancient world, in ancient Israel, they had a gate, which was the equivalent of our modern town square, which isn't really that modern anymore, but you know the idea of a town square where everyone gathers and all the business of the town takes place? That would take place at the city gate, where everyone would have to come in or go out and where the elders of the town would take their seat. They would decide business matters. They would decide political matters. They would decide financial matters and justice matters. And they would sit at the city gates. It was public. And here he's saying, blessed is the man who doesn't go take his seat with the scoffers. Who doesn't go and publicly say, I'm with the scoffers. I don't buy the way of the Lord. I don't buy that that's the way to happiness. And I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. So he warns here of a path, a path of wickedness, a way of wickedness that begins with just sort of being swayed into a certain path, but that can quickly escalate 
into greater and greater sin and greater opposition and rejection of the Lord. He says the blessed man, the happy man, does not walk in that way. Instead, the happy man walks in the way of the righteous. Verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, God's law, he meditates day and night. So he draws a contrast. He says, happy is the man who doesn't listen to the counsel of the wicked, who's not paying close attention to their advice and then following it. Blessed instead is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. This is rich beauty language being used here. The word for delight is used elsewhere in Scripture to refer to fine jewels, to the satisfaction one has when one has a beautiful ruby and one looks at it and turns the facets and sees all the different angles and all the beauty in the light and all the beauty that comes from it. It refers to things that are desirable and pleasing and beautiful and something that you want. And he says the blessed man, the happy man, sees God's law that way. He looks and he says, this is beautiful. I want this. I love this. I want, I want to have more of it. And so it's no surprise that we read verse 2 that his delight is in the law of the Lord, not in the counsel of the wicked. And on God's law, he meditates day and night. When he wakes up and when he goes to bed, the blessed man is delighting in the law of the Lord. This word meditate comes from a word for murmur, or to repeat under one's breath. There's this idea that he wakes up in the morning and he starts repeating the law of the Lord to himself. He's like, I love this. I, I'm going to repeat this to myself. And then he, as he goes about his day, he's repeating to himself as he goes the words of the law of the Lord. He's repeating these things. And then when he goes to bed, he's repeating the words of the law of the Lord. He's reminding himself of them. He's keeping them front of mind in his life. And he's keeping them close at hand. He loves them and delights in them and repeats them again and again, day and night, morning and evening. Now this might raise some questions for us when we think about God's law, the law of the Lord. I think sometimes we have this conception of God as sort of this, for some of us, this divine rule giver who gives all these kind of these rules and we sort of have to follow them because he's God, but they're really a burden and they're really restrictive and they really kind of get in the way of living life how we want to live it. But here the picture is not one of the law of the Lord being this harsh, oppressive, negative thing. It's presented in a positive light. It's like a beautiful ruby that, you're, that you love and you prize and it's your treasured possession. It's something you're repeating to yourself day in and day out. It's a source of delight. And throughout the Psalms, this is the way it's usually presented. Psalm 119, longest psalm in the Bible. Every verse of that psalm is about how beautiful God's law is and His judgments and His commands. And so there's this fundamentally positive view of the law of the Lord that's presented in Psalm 1. Not as something that's restrictive, not as something that prevents us from living the good life or living a happy life, but rather as the source of that life, as the source of delight. Now, a large part of this is because the law of the Lord that God has given us is intended for His glory, but also for our good. It's intended to help us live well in the world that He's made and to live in such a way that we can thrive and bring Him glory in the world. In fact, that's, I think, the primary setting here is he's saying, you're not going to be blessed if you go the way of the wicked, 
But if you're delighting in the law of the Lord, you will find great joy. You will thrive. You will prosper, we're told. And so there's a goodness for our lives that the law provides. It shows us the way to live. But there's also more in view here. The law of the Lord phrase here is not plural. It's not the laws of the Lord. It is the law of the Lord, singular. And in the Old Testament, the law of the Lord referred to all of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. And in those books, it wasn't just a rule list. It wasn't just don't steal, honor your parents, that's it. It was much richer than that. The law of the Lord told the story of God's character and God's love and God's grace to his people. It told the story about how God was slow to anger and abounding in love. About how God took Israel and made them his people, even though they were not a people. How he delivered them from slavery and injustice in Egypt. And how he made a covenant with them, an agreement where he would be their God and they would be his people. And then he called them to live in certain ways in light of that, to bring him glory in the world and to do them good. And so when the happy man in ancient Israel in Psalm 1 is delighting in the law of the Lord, he is delighting in the commands of the Lord, but he's also delighting in the context in which they're provided. He's looking at the law of the Lord and saying, whoa, look how God delivered us from Egypt. God is a loving and saving God. Wow, look at how God made a covenant with us, how he made us his people, and how he is our God. What a loving and gracious God. Wow, look at the way that God has provided for us to live. He's shown us how to live and how to live rightly in his world. And so as the happy man in Psalm 1 is looking at the law of the Lord, he's looking and delighting in something much richer than just do this and don't do this. Although those are good things. He's delighting in who God is, the saving character of God that God revealed to Israel in history and in God's work among the people of God in that day. Now, I think that helps us understand how we should think about this. We live in this side of the cross. The New Testament is clear that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law, that he kept it perfectly and rightly, and that we aren't obligated as Christians to keep all of the dietary laws, for example, in the Old Testament. We don't have to go offer blood sacrifices like they did in Leviticus. But the same things that they delighted in there are things we can delight in now, this side of the cross. God is the same God that he was in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy as he is today. He is the God who is slow to anger, who shows us grace in Christ. He is the God who is full of mercy and covenant love. He's the God of justice. He is the God who delivers his people from slavery. He delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. He delivers us from slavery to sin and death through the work of Christ. He made a covenant with God's people at Mount Sinai. And he has made a new covenant with us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we have the same reasons, even better reasons, to when we look at the law of the Lord, to delight in who God is, to worship Him, and to praise Him. And the rest of the Psalms can help us to do that. But we also, like the happy man, can delight in how God has called us to live. Though we are not now called to keep all the dietary laws, for example, God has still given us law that we are to follow. 
Paul tells us we are to fulfill the law of Christ. That is, we are to love one another. Jesus tells us we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. God has still shown us how we ought to live. And if we love Him and live in His ways and seek to follow Him, that is the path of delight. That is the path to true happiness. That is the path of blessing, just as it was the path of blessing for the happy Israelite man of Psalm 1. And as we look at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we can also see how all of those elements point to the grace that we have been shown by God in Jesus Christ. And so we should delight in who God is. We should delight in how He calls us to live. And we should have those truths on our mouths day in and day out. All day long, we should be delighting in those things and focusing on those things, seeking to live out those things and rejoicing and praising God for those things rather than walking in the counsel of the wicked or standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the seat of scoffers. So the psalmist presents us with two ways. He invites us to walk the way of the righteous, delighting in the Lord and the ways He calls us to live. He warns us against following in the way of the wicked. But then he goes on in verses 3-4 through to present two different outcomes. That is, the way of the righteous leads to blessing, whereas the way of the wicked will lead to ruin. Verse 3, we read that the happy man, the one who delights in the law of the Lord, is like a tree planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. This is a picture of flourishing. There's this tree, and it's connected to the life-giving streams of water. It's well irrigated. It is able to live and to thrive because it is connected to these streams. I believe the streams are a reference to the law of the Lord. That is, the happy man is focused on God's Word. He's focused on who God is. He's planted into these life-giving streams and he's like a flourishing tree that lives as a result of it. And this flourishing tree, we're told, produces good things. It yields its fruit in its season. When the time comes for fruit, there's fruit on this flourishing tree every year. Never a year where it doesn't produce as it's supposed to produce. So it is fruitful in the fruitful season. But it also is able to survive in the difficult dry season. We're told it yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In the ancient Israelite context, most trees would produce leaves early, right before the dry season. And so if they weren't well irrigated, if they weren't connected to a source of life-giving water, all the leaves would die. And here the psalmist is saying, if you love the Lord and you seek to follow Him, You will be like a tree that's planted by water and the water is going to be so life-giving and so nourishing that even in the dry spells, even when things are tough and things are hard, your leaves won't wither. You'll still be alive and you'll still thrive because you're being watered. And in all that you do, it says, the righteous man prospers. Now I want to give a qualifier here. The psalmist is not saying here that if we love God, and love his word that we will never suffer. We've seen Jesus says in this world you will have trouble. In First Peter it speaks of how uh, we will often suffer for our faith. We saw that in the last few months. 
So this is not saying that everything in your life will go perfect all the time if you love God and follow his ways. But what it is saying is that the general way that things work in God's world is that God watches over those who love him. That he sustains them in the good fruit-producing seasons and in the dry, difficult seasons. And that he will bring about their good because they are seeking to follow him. And so it's this picture of care and flourishing and life for the one who delights in the law of the Lord. But there's also a warning to those who would walk the path of the wicked. The wicked are not like this tree. Verse 4, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff refers to the dead, useless remains when one threshes wheat. So in the ancient world, they would take wheat and they would want to get the the seed, the useful part of the wheat that could be made into bread, and you would smash, you would hit this wheat, and then you would take the wheat and you would throw it up into the air, and the heavy, useful seed would fall to the ground, and you could use it to plant another grain, plant more grain, or to make food. But the useless parts, the dead parts, the parts that were of no use, would be blown away by the wind. They were what was called chaff. And so there's this contrast, this stark contrast between the one on the path of the righteous and the one on the path of the wicked. The righteous man is like a tree, alive, flourishing. The path of the wicked, though it may seem appealing at first, they are like chaff, dead. The path of the righteous, they are planted by streams of water. They're connected to life. The chaff is connected to no source of life or nutrients. The good tree produces fruit in its season, but the chaff is worth nothing. It can't do anything. It produces no good for anyone. The righteous, its leaf does not wither. The tree survives in difficult times, but the chaff is driven away by the wind. And so there's this contrast of blessing for the righteous and ruin for those on the path of the wicked. And so there's an invitation to walk the path of the righteous, but also a warning against walking the path of wickedness. Now this might raise some questions. Perhaps you're skeptical. Is this really the way life works? When we look out at the world, is it really true that the righteous are blessed by God? Is it really true that the wicked are like chaff? Because when we look at the world, sometimes it seems like they're doing pretty well for themselves. And other Psalms, Psalm 73, which we'll look at later, will wrestle with that question with how do I make sense of a world that God supposedly controls when it seems like the righteous suffer and often the wicked don't? But what the psalmist says here and what he closes on in verse 5 through 6 is that there is one reason why if we are righteous, we can be confident of these truths and one reason why if we are on the path of the wicked, we ought to reconsider that path. And that is the Lord. We're told, verse 5, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. He says, the wicked are like chaff. They're blown away by the wind, and therefore they will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Remember the early image at the beginning of the psalm of someone walking and then standing and then sitting in the way of sinners? Saying if you're sitting in the seat of scoffers 
or standing in the way of sinners, you will not stand in the judgment. You will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. When God judges and when he separates the wheat from the chaff, you will be blown away by the wind and you will not stand amongst God's people. You will not be welcomed in to the eternal worship of God in the new heavens and the new earth. That is what he's saying here. He's saying if you are on the path of the wicked, the end for the righteous, living under God's good rule as his people, worshiping him forever, will not be your destiny. That won't be where you end up. Your way will perish. This is really important for understanding how this psalm works. Why is it at the beginning of the psalms? Because it's an introduction. The psalmist is saying, if you're on the path of the wicked, this is a warning symbol that in the end, you will not be part of the congregation of the righteous that worships God. This congregation language is worship language. And so those songs won't be your songs. And these songs in the rest of the Psalter, as you're opening up the Psalter, as you're opening your Psalm CD, it's like a big sticker on the front of the CD saying, if you're on the path of the wicked and you're scoffing and you're not following the way of God, these Psalms aren't your Psalms. These songs aren't your songs. This worship won't be your worship. This blessed relationship with God is not going to be your relationship with God. And so the Psalms that speak of God being a just God, those aren't good news if you are walking the way of the wicked. The Psalms, especially some of the Psalms that call for God to shatter the teeth of the wicked. If you're reading that and you're a wicked person, that's not good news. It's not. And so the psalmist here is putting a big warning label on the Psalms for those who come to the Psalms not following God. And he's saying, check yourself. Examine yourself. Am I walking in the way of the Lord? Or am I walking in the counsel of the wicked? Am I standing in the way of sinners? Am I sitting in the seat of scoffers? And it's meant as a warning. See, it's very possible, even for people who believe they're part of the people of God, to say one thing or even sing one thing on Sunday morning and then live in another way throughout life. And the psalmist says, that is not the path that will lead you to stand in the congregation of the righteous. That is not the path that will lead you to sing these psalms forever to our great God. And so if you're here this morning, I would encourage you, examine yourselves. See if you are following, if you, are, if you love God, or whether you are walking the path of wickedness. And if you are, or you're sitting in the seat of scoffers, and you're like, I don't buy anything he's saying. I don't buy any of the Christian faith. To wrestle with these things, and I would urge you, be reconciled to God. Turn from sin, confess your sin, and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so there is a warning. And if you are considering, which way do I go? Which path should I take? Which path will lead me to true happiness and true blessedness? Please do not take the path of the wicked. It will not end in blessing. It will end in ruin because the Lord knows the way of the righteous and He knows the way of the wicked and He will not overlook sin and the way of the wicked will perish. But if you turn from your sin, confess your faith in Jesus Christ who walked the righteous path, who by His covenant makes, fills us with His Spirit that we might follow in God's ways, you can become the blessed man or the blessed woman. You can walk the path of life. You can go from being chaff to being like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. And if that happens, you will be able to stand in the judgment and stand in the congregation of the righteous, worshiping God because Jesus has done the work for you.
there's a warning. A warning that we shouldn't dive into the Psalms without looking at and examining. But there's also a great invitation here. The Psalm does not begin with terror. It begins with blessing. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but who delights in the law of the Lord. There is happiness and blessing for those who love God and love His ways. There is delight in who God is and what He has done and how He calls us to live. If we love God and seek to follow Him, God will plant us like a tree by streams of water. He will sustain us in the dry seasons. He will keep our leaves from withering. He will cause our, us to yield good fruit in season. He will watch over us because He knows our ways. And so if you are walking in the path of the righteous, take heart that God knows your way. He knows the path you're walking. He watches over you and He loves you and He cares for you and He is guiding you and He is blessing you. And then continue to delight in who God is in the law of the Lord and who He has revealed Himself to be in what He has done in saving us through Christ just as He saved God's people from slavery and in how He calls us to live. Let us not walk the way of the wicked that leads to ruin and shuts us out from worship of the Lord, but let us walk the way of righteousness that brings blessing and happiness and through which we will be able to stand on the final day and worship Him forever. Would you please pray with me? Our Father, we thank You that You are slow to anger and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, that You have shown this through Your saving works in the past, through delivering Your people from slavery in Egypt, through delivering us from slavery to sin and death through the work of Jesus Christ. We thank You that You have shown us how You want us to live, that You have not left us to just try to figure that out on our own, but that You promise that You are the One who knows our ways, that You are the One who blesses those who love You and who follow You, and that You will plant us like streams of water. So we ask that You would lead us in greater love for You, in greater faithfulness to You, and in greater worship of You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.